Thank you to my lovely wife, Heidi. Uh, Heidi actually is having a birthday tomorrow. I would ask you to guess which one, but that could be dangerous. So don't get me in trouble and you in trouble. And, but she's 39 again. So again, okay. Which would be weird because your daughter, how old are you, Danielle? You're not telling, all right. You're not even going to get in trouble on this one. You're so smart. She's smarter than me. Uh, hey, I'm Doug. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, uh, our pastor, Paul, is out. Uh, he's in uh, Israel with a group and some of the folks from our church right here. Check out the pictures and fun on Facebook, probably, I'm guessing. Um, Ryan is also off this week, so I want to say a huge thank you to Cody for stepping in and leading. Yeah. My guess is he might not have heard that, so make sure you go up to him later and thank him, because that's not easy to fill in for, uh, for the regular dude, but I love the heart of that young guy right there. So um, a reminder, after the message here, we're going to dismiss. There will be some refreshments out in the lobby, like we've already mentioned. Uh, feel free to grab something, and if some of you could help us move some chairs and tables into place, we're going to do a little community talk talk back time. Uh, this week we're going to try and leave a little more space for the folks in the room to talk, so you don't expect that we'll have a ton of talking from uh, me or Brad. Uh, we'd like to hear more um, discussion at the table, so we're going to aim it that way, but after we're done, do that and just hang with us for a little bit longer with some refreshments, and there we go. All right, let's pray. Father, for eyes to see, for ears to hear what you are saying to us for open hearts, um, we ask. For the presence of your Holy Spirit, I ask, because uh, no matter what I say this morning, if I say it well or if I mess up and fumble around, uh, nothing ultimately matters unless you come and empower this time together and move on our hearts. So we, we open this time to you, to your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, anybody here ever shop at a place like uh, Marshall's or Ross or TJ Maxx, right? Any of these places like this? Great bargains, right? If you're willing to dig through the messy displays and racks of stuff, right? I, I, one time I bought a pair of jeans for 10 bucks. Like, they were nice jeans. And maybe it's not a surprise to any of you, I'm not a real details guy. Um, so it wasn't until I tried them on at home that I noticed this little statement on the tag. It said, uh, irregular, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whoops, right? Yeah. Lesson learned, right? But they're just jeans, no big deal. But, but, but it's not like if, you know, I was out buying an expensive couch or a desk or a fridge or something. I mean, you ever look at the stuff in maybe Ikea or some of these stores where the as-is section of the furniture store? You ever been? Anybody familiar with this section? Yeah, a few of us here. Um, you know, it's kind of this as-is or slightly irregular section. And to me, sometimes it's really a, an adventure. Maybe a mystery is a better word. Uh, it seems like when I walk up to a a piece of furniture or something, wouldn't you hope that there'd be some sort of lengthy essay, a little explanation attached to all the merchandise explaining the history and the reasoning behind this insanely cheap price? But of course, like, they're trying to sell it so they don't actually do that. There's kind of a little mystery element. Oh, was it dropped? Was it returned? Um, how many of you have, have ever been happy with a purchase, something you bought at the as-is? Anybody buy something in the as-is? Yeah, you've been happy with it? Okay. How about those of us that uh, 
you know, instead, um, you got stuck with a piece of junk. Anybody buy something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, that's me, right? You know. So I, I get that. Um, and any of us that just avoid that section of the store altogether? After getting stuck with a piece of junk? Yeah, I, I don't go back to that section too much. Um, See, I think there's a definite gamble in purchasing something from the as-is section. It's risky because they often don't tell you what's wrong with that merchandise. You know, was it just the style of the upholstery that didn't sell well? Or is something, like, important, structurally wrong with the furniture? Like, if I sit on this as-is couch, is it going to collapse if more than one person sits on it with me, right? It's a mystery. And, and it's just not conveyed up front what exactly is wrong. And even though that's the case, you can be certain that something is defective. It's almost like within that non-refundable policy, there's this disclaimer that says, listen, buddy, you know from the beginning that this thing is flawed, so when you finally discover what's wrong with it, don't act surprised, right? You'd have to be naive to purchase something from the as-is section expecting perfection. A guy named John Ortberg, he says, when you deal with human beings, you have come <laughs> to the as-is corner of the universe. Isn't that great? When you deal with human beings, you have come to the as-is corner. And I love this statement that he makes because he's underscoring the fact that we are all flawed, right? None of us have it all together. Some of us have um, upholstery issues, right? Some of us are structurally challenged, yeah? The strings aren't quite right. The frame is broken. There's something going on. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, all have sinned and fallen short. I mean, and one of the things he's saying is that is, hey, listen, all of us are imperfect, flawed, irregular. Everyone comes with an as-is tag. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Think about somebody that you deeply, deeply care about. Try to not make eye contact if they're here in the room, okay? Just, but just, just think about them for a moment and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. That person you're thinking of that you care about, they have their own as-is tag, right? They are slightly irregular, no? Right? No, husbands are smarter than that, like they're not doing a thing. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but very few people that you meet are upfront with this when you first introduce yourself. They don't really reveal their flaws the first time. Wouldn't it be weird, though? Maybe interesting. I don't know if it's more interesting or weird. If in the initial handshake of meeting somebody, the, the normal interchange, if this was just normal, where we, people would be like, hi, my name is Doug. Nice to meet you. I have, I have a wickedly deceptive tongue, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, hey, hey, it's a pleasure meeting you. I tend to use people for my own personal gain. <laughs> I have an out-of-control temper. I am aloof. I am often selfish. Wouldn't that just be weird or interesting, maybe helpful? I don't know. 1 Timothy 5, 24 says, The sins of some men and women are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them, which is such an interesting insight here because whether somebody's junk, mine or someone else's, is readily apparent, whether it's obvious or it takes a while, like it's trailing behind them. Either way, we can be sure that those with whom you have relationships are in one way or another slightly irregular, right? So the people you work with, live with, hang out with, they are slightly irregular, and each one of us comes with an as-is tag. Again, in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. And anybody who has any chance to get to know me at all, quickly discovers that I have all kinds of my own junk. 
Like I try to be open, but too often I also then sort of shield and hide my as-is tag. Maybe I'll put on a mask. I mean, there are plenty of areas in my life that I look at and I'm frustrated and I go, why am I still struggling with that? Like, why is that thing that I know about, why is that still an issue? I mean, so often there are people that I hurt, uh, and often the people that I hurt are the people I care most about. And whether it's being judgmental or impatient, defensive, sarcastic, quick to anger, and, and much more, there are parts of me that are <clears throat> slightly, or more than slightly, irregular. I have an as-is tag. No one is exempt. So, we've been talking about community and biblical community, and these three weeks that I'm uh, talking about this, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this week's theme, just, just so that as we go deeper in community as a church, uh, as we dive deeper into building authentic biblical community, I think here's something really important for us to remember. Uh, if you get nothing else out of this morning, this is the truth. This is a profound theological truth. Are you ready to write this one down here? Yeah, this is big. This is worth it right here. Ready? Here's the truth right here. Everybody's weird. Everybody's <clears throat> weird, me too. And we hate to admit this because we have this thing in our head where we think if we just go to the right church or join the right group or the right club or the right place, uh, we're going to find the perfect people. Um, good thing we have a sign outside that it just admits, well, it won't be here because imperfect people, right? We are imperfect people. There are no perfect people allowed. So, um, but a lot of people, uh, in our culture especially, they jump from church to church and group to group trying to finally find the ultimate church to invest and commit to. And then oftentimes, even if they find a place, oh, this is the right place, eventually something's, nah, it's just not right. Or, well, it just doesn't work for us anymore. Um, and so they start church shopping again. Again, a great quote from uh, John Ortberg, who, by the way, wrote a, a, a book with one of my favorite titles. It's a long title, and it talks a little bit about what we're talking about today. It's, uh, his title of the book is, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> so, great book to check out. John Ortberg here says, we are tempted to live with the illusion that somewhere out there, people are normal. When we enter into relationships with... <clears throat> When we enter into relationships with the illusion that people are normal, we resist the truth that they are not. We enter an endless attempt to fix them, control them, or pretend that they are what they're not. And then this last line, I really love this. One of the greatest marks of maturity is to accept the fact that everybody comes as is. Everybody comes as is. And again, it's tempting to live with this illusion that somewhere out there, I mean, maybe it's a remote island, but there's got to be somewhere out there where people are normal. And in those kinds of places, community happens without effort. And that's just not true. And one of the greatest marks of maturity is to accept the fact that everybody comes as is. And this is really hard for us, especially for me, because... Although we would rather believe that even though, I mean, personally, I know this, right? Everybody that I know has quirks and idiosyncrasies, but somewhere out there, there's got to be these normal people, these relationships that require little or no effort on our part, right? We want the perfect friends, the perfect boss, the perfect spouse, the perfect kids, the perfect pastor, and it's common to just keep on looking for that illusion. 
And so it's hard for me to embrace this truth that those kinds of perfect ideals are unrealistic. I mean, all have sinned and fallen short, right? That's what the Bible tells us, but even past that, if we're honest, isn't that our experience too? Perfect people don't exist. But when I look at the relationships that I'm in, so whether it's work, friends, family, church, I, it's, it's not always shiny, it's not always happy, because what happens in any kind of community, but especially biblical community, is that there are conflicts that arise. Whenever there are relationships and people out of nowhere, whoops, my as-is tag suddenly gets exposed, or their as-is tag suddenly gets exposed. But again, we would be really naive to purchase something from the as-is section expecting perfection. And, and, and here's the truth. Relationships with as-is people are risky, but that's the only kind of people that there are. <laughs> like, you will inevitably fail the people that you care about, and they will inevitably fail you because there's none of us that is in and of themselves righteous or perfect. And as much as you or I would like to be perfectly sensitive and considerate and loving all the time, it's a given that there are times where we fall short of that, and that can be difficult and even painful to accept. But if we're going to enter into deep relationships, into the kind of biblical community that we've been talking about, we have to acknowledge right up front that there is no such thing as perfect people in a perfect community, and there never has been. Right up at the front of the message, Heidi read uh, about the early Acts 2 church. It's a passage we've used a few weeks in a row now, and it's a beautiful passage. It's an amazing description of biblical community. The passage says, and if I was just going to skim it, it says that uh, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread. Everybody was filled with awe. There were miracles done. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions to give to anyone who had need. They met together daily. They broke bread in their homes, had glad and sincere hearts. Wow, wow, wow. What a picture. What a beautiful picture. And, and a lot of us go, wow, that's what we want, right? That is what we want. That is what we want. But all we have to do is keep reading the rest of the book of Acts to see that the early church wasn't perfect either, right? We've talked about this the last couple weeks. Paul had a great sermon about it a couple weeks ago. The early church was a mess. It was beautiful, but it was a mess. It was a beautiful mess. And in church history, eventually the church grows and just explodes and spreads all over the place. And suddenly, all kinds of people are coming into this Jesus community. And it's not just the Jewish folks that were kind of similar anymore. But now there were non-Jews. There were Gentiles. There were men and women. There were slaves that were welcomed and free people, which is really cool. Because the picture of what was happening in the early church shows us that everybody is welcome here in the church Everybody is welcome here. There's no perfect people allowed. I mean, I wish we had time to really get into this one here, but there's this great story in the book of Acts where, where Philip, one of Jesus' followers, he's told to jump into this chariot. God directs him to jump into this chariot where an Ethiopian eunuch is riding and reading the scriptures. I mean, that story is just mind-blowing if we sit with it for a while, because first of all, part of why they were telling that story is to show people, hey, this isn't just for people like us. So part of why that story was included and told was, hey, look at this. So first of all, he, he doesn't look like the rest of the folks that have been 
becoming Christians, right? Um, he's not one of us. So secondly, and this one we kind of dance around, and I don't have time to dance closely with it, but <laughs> we dance around this one. He was a eunuch, right? So uh, he'd been mutilated, and, and oftentimes that had something to do with other kinds of temple worship and different kinds of religions, worshiping other gods, um, some sexual identity issues is what uh, other folks have exegeted that to mean. Again, I don't have time to get into it, but, but Jewish folks didn't allow people like that into the temple. Um, and just weird, like, did you notice that Philip didn't even talk to him about his condition? He just explained the scriptures, and the guy says, hey, there's some water. Can I get baptized? And he baptized him again. Whew, there's a lot of weird, like, stuff to wonder about. This early church made up of so many different folks, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And all these different folks and people are joining this early church community, and Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 who they are. Again, a scripture that Heidi read. They're not just Jew or Gentile, they're both, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then skip down to verse 13, he instructs them and us, <laughs> bear with one another, right? Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, because when we're a lot different, there's going to be stuff that we've got to work out and forgive. There's going to be ways we step on each other's toes. There's going to be ways that we offend each other. There's going to be things that we don't understand about each other, and so we're going to have to forgive one another, and to forgive, he says, as the Lord forgave you. I mean, just that phrase I've been trying to carry in my relationships, bear with one another, one translation actually puts it this way. It says, uh, put up with each other, <laughs> right? Put up with each other. How, how would that work in our households? Like, when you're getting annoyed with that thing that your spouse or your... Anybody have teenage kids here? My teenage kid doesn't do this, but, but some of you might have teenage kids that just do stuff that you're like, why, 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 right? Bear with one another. Put up with each other, right? Put up with each other, which is a tall order, in fact, much of the New Testament is spent instructing us on how to do life together, what it looks like to treat each other with kindness and respect, how to resolve conflict and to learn to be for each other. But weirdly, oddly enough, the way that our church world and lots of Christians treat the New Testament is like this theological textbook that we just have to go through and shape our systematic theology, which is fine. Systematic theology is important, but how come we're so good at our systematic theology that we're shaping and having all of our ducks in a row, but we're terrible at like actually doing the stuff that Jesus said to do? At least me, right? Like, my theology is pretty solid. Uh, if I look at how I am doing in terms of treating others sometimes, whew, I've got a long ways to grow. So on the one hand, if I am going to enter into authentic biblical community, and this is the point of this first part here, I'm going to have to put up with other people with their irregularities. I'm going to have to embrace and pursue diversity with people who may not look like me and who don't think like me. So that's kind of the big takeaway from the first part. If we had fill in the blanks, that would have been on there, but I wasn't on the ball this week, so we didn't get that done. So... <clears throat> Don't tell Paul. Deal? Deal? Okay. Now, on the other hand, so I'm going to have to have grace for others. That's the one side. But the, on the other hand, if I'm going to enter into being a part of biblical community, if I'm going to choose like we talked last week, if I'm going to choose to be devoted to each other and to God, I'm going to have to be willing to be vulnerable. 
is where all the men get really nervous. Because entering into biblical community includes me taking a risk, trusting you to love the real me with my as-is tag, my irregularities, the things that I don't quite get right and don't quite do well. Instead of wearing a mask and pretending like I have it all together, will I trust the real me to be accepted and receive grace from the people around me. Because it's really easy sometimes to just go around, but, oh yeah, I'm just going to be so nice and kind to everybody and understanding to them. But then we keep our walls up and we don't ever let anybody really see who we are. But really, if we're going to do biblical community, we have to do both. We have to do both. And for those of you that have been around churches, let me just say this as a, somebody that served as a pastor for over 20 years and is getting ready to go back into pastoral ministry here. Um, church is not always a place that you would describe as safe, right? Anybody? Yeah? I'm not talking about this church. I'm just saying in general, if you've been around, if you've been around a while especially, um, maybe you've even seen that church people can be downright prickly or just nasty. When I was uh, 14 or 15, I mean, if you want to see people be weird to, to, to church people, especially when you're just trying to figure out how you fit or if you fit. I was like 14 or 15, I played drums on our church worship team. By the way, Justin up here is like 12, and he rocked it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I was, I was grinning ear to ear watching him play, and then he started smiling too, but he didn't see me, but yeah, yeah. But, but in other churches, especially where there were worship wars, which, how did those two words ever get put together back in the 90s, right? Worship wars. Um, people would complain about the music. I'm, I'm, I haven't been around long enough, and nobody's told me different, so I'm assuming that's not true here. I hope not. But, um, but you don't want a reality check on how rude people can be in church. Just try being a young person playing drums or even just being on the worship team. And, uh, man, dang, the Christian, <laughs> the things that Christian people, or especially mature Christian people, Say the things that come out of their mouth. Um, what time we have here? All right, hey, all right, can I get your permission here? Can I take a rabbit trail for a moment and give you some insight on what it's like to be a pastor? Right? This is a little secret talk here. We'll make sure we cut it out of the recording so this doesn't get out there anywhere. Can I do that? Yeah? Can we do that? Okay, so um, again, you may not know this, but like being on a church staff, being a pastor at a church, is not always the safest place to be as well. Like, I've been insulted, gossiped about, talked about behind my back, cursed out, had people go on a campaign to try to get me fired, had people lie about me. I've been criticized in the goofiest of ways, things that would just make your head spin. And part of why Heidi and I landed here at Hope has to do with what God did through, is doing through Paul and Ryan, um, and also your last pastor, Dwayne. Uh, in fact, Dwayne Cross, your, your uh, previous pastor, he's my mentor guide as I'm going through the process of becoming licensed and ordained with uh, the Covenant Church this year. And, and I love uh, that guy. I love his story. I love his honesty. Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. Good man. Um, uh, but we didn't actually, and I, we didn't actually, Heidi and I didn't show up here at Hope until I met your, your new pastor, Paul and Ryan, and I really, really, really love those guys. They are fantastic, good, good men. And so in my mind, I kind of look at uh, the previous Dwayne, and I look at Paul and, and Ryan, and I know a little bit of your, a few of your elders, and, and my imagination says, you know, the reason that Hope is the kind of place it is, is largely due to the pastors and leadership that have been here and that are now currently here, and that cultivates a particular kind of environment. 
It, it cultivates a great environment, actually, because lots of people, lots of churches, I should say, lots of churches try to say things like, oh, no perfect people are allowed, or um, come as you are, or, or other welcoming kinds of slogans. But again, I've been around a while, and part of the problem is that often, once you get inside some of those churches, maybe even just a little bit, you discover, oh, that's just a slogan, right? That's not reality, which can be really disappointing. Um, in those kinds of environments, it's almost more like, yeah, listen, hey, hey, we say no perfect people allowed, but actually once you get inside this church, you'd better hide your flaws if you want to fit in, right? Like, we know you're not perfect, we just don't want to see it. <laughs> Yeah, but thankfully in the interactions that I've had with the people here at Hope, and again, we're new, um, and the friendship that I'm enjoying with Paul and Ryan and, and guys like Cody and his wife Kara and, and Tracy, and, and, and what I'm finding is that you guys mean it, right? You guys mean it, yeah. It's a beautiful thing because there is a graciousness about this place. There's a kindness, an authenticity that is so, so refreshing. And so it's true. Here, hope is a great place for imperfect people, people like me. And, and yes, both of us, right? All of us. And again, um, if you know a little bit of our story, which I've told a little bit here and there. We're, we're going through licensing and ordination. I'll be uh, looking and interviewing to move back into church ministry. I did about 20 years. The last six, seven years, I've been doing other kinds of ministry, and um, I can tell you some more of my story at some point. Uh, but in the next few months, as we start interviewing, I'm a little nervous about moving back into pastoral church ministry. Um, and one of my things that I'm really concerned about is I wonder, is, is there going to be a safe place where I can be myself, where I can admit that I'm far from perfect, a church where I can show my brokenness and my weakness, where I can admit my doubts and my fears, my struggles, a place where I can take off my mask and receive love and grace, even when, more especially when, I'm in a difficult season. Is there a place where I'm not going to have to fake it? Um, I mean, again, I know as a pastor I'll be there to minister, to love and serve, and I want to give grace to all these people around me, absolutely, but honestly, I'm going to need them to give me a ton of grace as well. Yeah, and, so, and so you can be praying for Heidi and I about this stuff, and please, please do. Um, but the other thing is I'm also really nervous about how a potential future church will treat my wife, Heidi. I mean, again, little insider here. The crazy things that people say to the spouses of pastors, you wouldn't believe it. You would not believe it. It is it's just nuts. I mean, the expectations are so bizarre sometimes. I mean, I have tons of friends that are pastors, and I hear their stories and go, I just want to go to their church board and go, hey, when you called and hired your, your pastor, did you also hand the spouse, usually it's the wife, but did you, did you hand the wife a job description and a pay raise as well? Because like, <laughs> the expectations, wow, it's crazy. Usually a, a pastor's wife or, or husband um, the spouse labors under all of these unrealistic expectations that often come, by the way, from people's ideas and opinions about what a ministry spouse should do, right? And often they're being unfairly compared to the previous 
uh, pastor's spouse. So, so especially if you're a pastor who relocates their family like we're considering doing, and now you're in this new place, a new church, where all your relationships are made and based, um, but then there's all this pressure and expectation, it can be very, very lonely, especially for the spouse. And I love my wife too much to ask her to put up with that kind of toxic, unhealthy expectation. So please be praying for us as we go ahead. And just think about it. Again, oh, Ryan and Paul are gone, so I can get away with this, right? Just think about ways that you can love and encourage um, your your staff and, and their family here as well. So, okay, there was that little insider, the pastoral church ministry uh, thing. So let's move this squarely back to authentic, authentic biblical, safe community. Um, one of the most influential people in my life, uh, I put him in my top four, as uh, a pastor locally here named John Lynch. He lives in Phoenix. John is a good friend of mine. He's written some books, uh, one called True Faced, another one called The Cure, a few others as well. I highly recommend his books. And he asked this profound question that I've carried with me for years and years, and it's on the screen here. What if there was a place where the worst about me could be known, and I would find that I was loved more and not less in the telling of it? Makes me think of the scripture in 1 John chapter 1 where it talks about walking in the light, right? Being true, being open, not hiding. But what if there was a place where the worst about me could be known, where I didn't hide behind a mask, faking, pretending, posing, which is exhausting, by the way, and it's it's lying, right? To wear a mask and fake it, that's lying. It doesn't honor God for us to pretend, and he's not asking us to do it. But, But what if the worst about me could be known, my anger, my rage, my lust, my greed, the lies I tell to make myself look better, the times and ways that I fail over and over and over again, and when I took off the mask that I wear to try to make everybody think I'm the perfect ideal Christian, and I let people see me, the real me, the me that really, really does love Jesus, but the me that doesn't always do so well. The imperfect Doug, the imperfect pastor. And instead of being rejected, shamed, scolded, or having someone quote Bible verses about holiness and sin at me, trying to shame and control me, instead, people loved me. The real me, the authentic me, the imperfect me, as is tag and all. Or they loved you. Not your mask, not your false self, not your pose, not the image that we try to project. They loved you, doubts and fears and all, loved. (laughs) Imagine being loved like that. I mean, some of us don't even know this. That's how Jesus loves you, right? He's not asking you to get your stuff together before you come to him or to have all the questions answered and have your theology figured out. No, come to him mad. It's okay. Come to him confused, angry, upset. Just come. Just come. But what about receiving that in a community of people? (laughs) When a community of people love others that way, wow, now that's 
biblical community. That's the dream that God had in mind when he created his church. And as messy and goofed up and diverse and full of irregular people that any church is, that is the kind of environment where the life and love of God is experienced. That's the kind of place where dead people come to life and broken people get made whole and hearts are healed and set free. So here's our question as we close. What is Jesus calling you, you and me, to do in order for us to go deeper into that? Because we have that going on here. What's he calling each of us to do to go deeper into being a place where imperfect people are loving others and being loved? What is he calling you to do in order for that to be experienced here? It's really a two-sided coin. We're going to do two questions on the screen here. First side of the coin First question, how will I devote myself towards making this a place of love and grace? All right, so how will each of us, each of you, make this a place where imperfect people are loved, accepted, and given the grace that they need wherever they are at on their journey right now? Because as you know, the church is made up as individuals, so we all get to do this, right? It's not it ain't the pastor's job or the staff's job or the elder's responsibility alone. We are in this together. So, so how will I devote myself toward making this a place of love and grace? And then the other side of the coin, and our call, by the way, is to do both of these, but it's this. How will I begin to risk trusting others with who I really am, with my fears, my imperfections, my struggles, and my flaws? So with those two questions on the screen, uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do something that I don't know we do much of here, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I'm going to pause for two minutes in just silence, and just silence. And in that silent time, uh, I want to give us some time to ponder these questions. We'll leave them on the screen. And I want you maybe write something down. We left lots of space for you in the bulletin. Um, write something down. Maybe God will even prompt your heart with some ideas. Um, but we're going to do this in silence. There'll be two minutes of silence. I'll pray, and then we'll have that two minutes, and then I'll wrap us up. So, Jesus, we do. We want to go deeper and be in the kinds of people um, who make the kind of place, the kind of church where everyone is welcome, where no one thinks they have to pretend to have it all together, the kind of church where people are loved and accepted as they are, kind of church where everyone experiences grace. So I ask you for courage, for humility and creativity as we take a couple moments in silence here to answer these questions.